Welcome to the Lead On Podcast. This is Jeff Orge, the president of Gateway Seminary, talking with you once again about practical issues related to ministry leadership. Now, I often joke on this podcast that this is really not a preaching podcast, although I really do like to preach. Well, today I'm probably going to break that rule a little bit and try to show you something from a passage of scripture that will help us answer an important question that all of us muse about from time to time as ministry leaders. So pause the podcast for just a second and find your Bible or turn it on on the device you're listening and get to Exodus chapter 17, where I want to start walking us through a passage of scripture, really an extended passage of scripture to try to answer this question. How do we recognize God at work among us? Now, this particular study emerged from an assignment that I received not long ago to preach in a local church. The church was working its way through a series of sermons on the names of God. And in Acts chapter, excuse me, in Exodus chapter 17, uh, the words Jehovah Nisi are used. The Lord is my banner to describe one name for God. And so I was asked if I would preach on that particular name on that particular Sunday. That caused me to then study the larger passage of scripture that surrounded the designation Jehovah Nisi here in Exodus chapter 17. So if you're in Exodus 17, move back up with me to verse 7. At the end of verse 7, Moses records this part of the story. The Bible says he named the place Massa and Meribah because the Israelites complained and because they tested the Lord saying, is the Lord among us or not? And that question really leaps off the page at me. Is the Lord among us or not? Is the Lord working among us? Is there evidence of God's activity among us? Can we see God's hand, if you want to say it that way, moving us along? Is the Lord among us or not? As a ministry leader, I spend time learning leadership skills. I spend time reading leadership books. I spend time learning from leadership mentors. It's easy in the context of doing all of that to think that Christian leadership is just learning some techniques and then implementing those techniques in such a way that something positive happens that we can then label as a spiritual outcome. Look, there's got to be more to it than that. There's got to be more to this leadership that we're providing than just techniques and methods and books and mentors. We really want to have a sense that God is moving among us, that God is actually active, doing something, making a difference. So as we look at this question, is the Lord among us, we find the answer summarized in that phrase, Jehovah Nisi, the Lord is my banner. Now that phrase, Jehovah Nisi, the Lord is my banner, means that The Lord is the one to who we owe our allegiance. The Lord is the one that we worship. The the Lord is the flag, if you will, under which we march. The Lord is my banner. In this recent uh, difficulty that the world has experienced in Ukraine, I found it uh, striking that Ukrainians and people who were showing solidarity with Ukraine started carrying and wearing the Ukrainian flag, 
And by doing that, they were saying, this is the country that we're honoring. This is the country that we're giving our allegiance. This is the country that we want recognized and that we want everyone to see we're all coming together to support. Now, that imagery is the imagery of the name Jehovah Nissi, the Lord is my banner. And so the answer to the question, is the Lord among us, is yes, he is among us. And we recognize that by placing his standard and saying we wave it, we honor it, we, fl- we march under it. The Lord is among us. But that then begs a second question. How is the Lord at work among us? Where do we see his activity? And in the stories that surround these phrases in Exodus 17, 7 and Exodus 17, 15, in the stories that surround these phrases, we see some important principles about God at work through a leader and God at work around a leader's efforts. So let's consider these stories. There are three of them. The first story I'll call the story of the rock. And it starts in Exodus chapter 17, verse 1. The entire Israelite community left the wilderness of sin, moving from one place to the next according to the Lord's command. They camped at Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. So the people complained to Moses, Give us water to drink. Why are you complaining to me? Moses replied to them. Why are you testing the Lord? But the people thirsted there for water and grumbled against Moses. They said, why did you ever bring us up from Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? Then Moses cried out to the Lord, what should I do with these people? In a little while, they'll stone me. The Lord answered Moses, go on ahead of the people and take some of the elders of Israel with you. Take the staff you struck the Nile with in your hand and go. I'm going to stand there in front of you on the rock at Horeb. When you hit the rock, water will come out of it and the people will drink. Moses did this in the sight of the elders of Israel. What a dramatic story. Is the Lord among us? Yes, he is among us in producing a flow of water out of a rock that satisfied the thirst of these tens, if not hundreds of thousands of people that were on their way out of Egypt. This is the story of the rock. And it illustrates for us that God is sometimes at work through us supernaturally in the moment. God at works through supernatural intervention. Now, this was an overwhelming human need, thirst. You can't survive very long without water. This was a critical moment when the lives of many were on the line. And in that moment, God intervened supernaturally, instantly, dramatically. And God still does this today. I think about a couple of stories from my early years of pastoral ministry, and these stand out for me because 
in terms of my adult life, these are two of the earliest examples that I had when God intervened supernaturally, dramatically, in the moment to meet a real need. His name was J.W., and he was dying. He was in the hospital in a deep coma, unresponsive, shallow breathing. His family called and said, Pastor, can you come? Uh, J.W.'s dying. The doctors have told us to summon the family. They've stopped all care except the palliative care. So they said, would you come, Pastor, and would you anoint J.W. with oil, and would you pray for him to be healed? Well, I got a friend of mine named Rick, and we made our way out to the hospital. And I'm thinking all the way, oh, Lord, I want to pray for this, but honestly, this man's been deteriorating, and he's reached this point where he's near death, and I don't want to create false hopes or give in to their false expectations. I really struggled with what to do when I got there. But when I got to the hospital, it was pretty clear what was needed. They were resolute. They wanted me to pray for their dad and husband to be healed. So we gathered in that hospital room, J.W. laying there just barely breathing. We put a little oil on his forehead. We held hands. And we prayed, and I prayed as hard and as fervently and as intensely as I could that God would heal this man. Well, we left the hospital, and I was a man of such great faith back then that I remember telling my friend Rick, I don't think I'll make it through the night. I think they'll probably be calling me sometime to tell me to come on back out that JW's passed away. So I went home, went to bed, expecting that midnight phone call. Never came. I woke up the next morning, normal time, and realized, wow, no one called. I've slept through the night. So I got ready and thought, I'll start my day by going by the hospital and just checking in on the situation. I got to the hospital, went up on the floor where J.W.'s room was, and noticed there was no one around and his door was closed. So I went over and tapped on the door and from the inside of his room, come in. I was startled. Open the door, and there's J.W. sitting up in the bed, just shoveling in his breakfast as fast as he can eat it. He said, oh, Pastor, I'm so glad you came by. Hope you don't mind. I don't want to be rude, but, man, I'm hungry. I, I woke up a couple hours ago, and, and I couldn't wait to get some food in me. So if you don't mind, I'm just going to keep eating. And I didn't mind. I just stood there slack-jawed looking at this man shoveling in his breakfast. J.W. Crabtree was healed. Near death, all hope gone. Doctors stopping treatment, and he woke up and was ready for his breakfast. A couple of days later, went home from the hospital, lived for years after that. I don't know how long. I know I never did his funeral. So he continued on with life, restored in a moment of God's intervention. Now, in that same season of life, uh, my wife and I were struggling financially. We didn't have any money at all in the beginning. We had a church that was doing the best they could, but they were paying us a very minimal salary, and we were living week to week, paycheck to paycheck, just barely surviving. And on a Tuesday morning, our refrigerator died. Now, this was particularly difficult because we had small children, formula, baby food, all the stuff that goes along with that. And Ann said, Jeff, you've got to figure out what to do. We've got to have a refrigerator. And I said, I know, but I don't have any money, and I don't really know where to turn. And 
So I said, I'll tell you what, let's get a cooler and we'll pack it with some ice and we'll keep the baby's food health, uh, safe and, and I'll try to figure this out. Maybe I can find $25 and go to a used refrigerator store and a used appliance store and buy something. Well, that was on a Tuesday and that afternoon I went and visited a fellow in the hospital who'd been coming to our church for a while. He wasn't a member of our church, but I had befriended him and extended my ministry to him and he was good friends with a man in our church named Ken. And so I made that hospital visit on a Tuesday afternoon. And and then a little while after that visit, suddenly and somewhat unexpectedly, this man died. Well, we had a service just a couple of days later. A lot of reasons for that, but we wanted to do it fairly quickly, which meant that all the rest of Tuesday and all day Wednesday and into Thursday, I'm just swamped trying to get everything done to get this service planned and help the family and take care of the need. Service ended on Tuesday or Thursday, and of course, I haven't had any time to think about a refrigerator. When the service ended, Ken said, Jeff, um, you know, my friend had a sense that he wasn't doing well, and actually it turned out that uh, he maybe knew more than we thought. Could you come by my office? He, he left a note for you, and I want to give it to you. I thought, man, I've just spent two and a half days on this, but yeah, I'll come by your office. So I went by his office, and he handed me a note, and he said he wanted you to have this. If he, if he passed away, he said, just make sure you got it. And I uh, opened up the envelope, and it was a note thanking me for my care for him. And then it said, if you're getting this, I must have passed away. But I wanted you to have this as a gift. And it was a check for $500. And I called Ann, and we went to Sears that afternoon and bought a refrigerator. Now, that was the first time in our young married life that God intervened financially on our behalf. In a moment of time, in a way that I could have never anticipated or expected, giving a man who was ill the insight to know that he might not make it, to write that letter and to put that check in it, God orchestrated all of that. Listen, here's what I'm trying to say. God works supernaturally to intervene in our lives and do things we cannot explain any other way than God did it. God raised my friend JW from his sick bed. God gave me a $500 check to buy a refrigerator when I was a struggling young pastor. God stepped in and intervened. Just like he used Moses to provide water in the moment, he does the same thing today. But now we move to the second story. The second story in this set of stories around these great statements is the Lord among us, and yes, the Lord is my banner. The second story is what I'll call the story of the battle. Let's hear it starting in Exodus 17 at verse 8. The Bible says that Rephidim, Amalek, came and fought against Israel. Moses said to Joshua, Select some men from us and go fight against Amalek. Uh, tomorrow I'll stand on the hilltop with God's staff in my hand. Joshua did as Moses had told him and fought against Amalek, while Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. While Moses held up his hand, Israel prevailed. But whenever he put his hand down, Amalek prevailed. When Moses' hands grew heavy, they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat down on it. Then Aaron and Hur supported his hands, one on one side and one on the other, so that his hands remained steady until the sun went down. So Joshua defeated Amalek and his army with the sword. Now, again, we're still answering that question, is God among us? And if he is, 
How is he working? And in this story of the battle, we see that God works through human effort to accomplish his purposes. Now, you may say, wait a second. That's not human effort. That's Moses up on the mountain in a symbolic gesture with his hands raised, signifying his dependence on God and his accessing of God's power for the work that needed to be done that day. And yes, that is all true. But notice how the work of God got accomplished that day. There was no moment of victory, like in the previous story of water gushing out of a rock. No, there was instead an all-day battle that took place in a valley between Joshua, the army he was leading, and Amalek. Notice what it says. They sat there until the sun went down and the battle raging all throughout the day. And Joshua, it says in verse 13, defeated Amalek and his army with the sword. This is a story that shows that sometimes God works through human effort. That the answer of the question, is God among us? The answer is, he certainly is. He's empowering me to fight a battle that's going to take all day. And that battle is going to involve blood and sweat and tears. And it's going to result in people being injured, people suffering, some even dying. It's going to be an all-day deal. God is at work. Now, certainly, the leader had a role up on that hillside in a posture of prayer in a symbolic gesture of openness to God and of appealing to God for his power? Yes. But rather than God sending a lightning bolt out of heaven to obliterate the Amalekites, God sustained an army who had an all-day fight to accomplish his purposes. God is at work through human effort. Now, I think of many illustrations of this, but I'll just give you one. Many years ago, uh, around, let's say, 1980, our church hosted a prayer conference with a man named Don Miller. Now, as I've told this story at different times over the years, I'm always astounded at the number of people who come up to me and say they went to a Don Miller prayer conference because he was very popular in the 1980s and, uh, and even into the early 1990s. Very popular leading these conferences or seminars on prayer. He came to our church and he led this conference. And in the context of that, he gave everyone there a three-by-five card and said, on this card, please write the answer to this question. What are you praying for that is impossible? What are you praying for that is impossible? Now, I was a young man, young minister, maybe 20, 21 years old, and I remember writing something on the card and thinking, oh, this is the greatest and most difficult thing I could even imagine that seems impossible to me. And then Don Miller shared how he was praying, and he said, I'm praying that God will reveal the cure to all cancer in my lifetime. Well, I folded up my little card and put it in my pocket. I didn't want anyone to see what I wrote. God will reveal the cure to all cancer in my lifetime. Now, I find that prayer very interesting. Don Miller did not say, I'm praying God will cure all cancer in my lifetime. He said, I'm praying that God will reveal the cure to all cancer in my lifetime. 
meaning that God will work through the researchers, the physicians, the clinicians, the people who are doing the work to try to figure out everything they can about cancer. God, use them to, so to speak, win the battle. Reveal through all of this effort the answers to curing cancer. And Don Miller, like Moses, praying to God, Oh God, oh God, show your power. Joshua in the battle, in the valley, in the battle, doing the fighting. Show your power by working through all these cancer researchers to reveal the cure to all cancer in my lifetime. Well, that was the early 1980s. 1994, I was diagnosed with cancer. And when I went to the physician for the treatment plan, he said, good news, we have a 99.9% cure rate for your kind of cancer. It's been discovered in the last few years. Uh, you'll do these treatments, you'll take this kind of medication, and I can give you an almost certain uh, conclusion that you will be absolutely cured of cancer. When that doctor told me that, I remember that prayer conference I went to many years ago, and I wondered, is this part of the answer to Don Miller's prayer, that God has revealed the cure to my cancer in his lifetime? And I'm so thankful that someone was praying that way and that people doing the battle to find the cures for cancer have been sustained to the point where they found some of the answers. So... God sometimes works through human effort. And our role is to pray that that human effort will be sustained, that the human effort will be strengthened, that the human effort will be successful. But God is at work through human effort. In this story, unlike the first story, in the first story, Moses tapped the rock, water gushed out, there was a supernatural intervention, and in the moment, all the problem was solved. But in this story, Moses sits there with his hands raised with Aaron and her supporting him on either side. But the battle raging in the valley, the all-day-long battle that took place was the work of God, the work of God in human effort to achieve his purposes that day. But now, turn over to the next chapter, Acts 8, or excuse me, Exodus 18, to see a third example of how God works. Now, this story's kind of interesting in that Moses' father-in-law, a fellow named Jethro, shows up and observes his son-in-law in action. Now, his son-in-law is a very significant leader. This is Moses, the deliverer who brought the people out of Egypt, and Moses who uh, got the water out of the rock, and Moses who supervised and facilitated this great battle of victory over the Amalekites. This is Moses, who's quite the leader. But like a lot of father-in-laws, including this one, he had an opinion about what his son-in-law was doing. Pick it up in verse 17. He said, uh, what you're doing is not good, Moses' father-in-law said to him. You're going to wear out both yourself and these people are with you because the task is too heavy for you. You can't do it alone. You can't continue to judge all these problems that all these people are bringing to you. Now listen to me. I'll give you some advice. And God be with you. You be the one to represent the people before God and bring their cases to him. 
Instruct them about the statutes and the laws and teach them the way to live and what they must do. But you should select from all the people able men, God-fearing, trustworthy, and hating dishonest prophet. Place them over the people as commanders of hundreds, excuse me, thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. They should judge the people at all times. Then they can bring you every major case, but judge every minor case themselves. In this way, you will lighten your load, and they will bear it with you. And if you do this, and God so directs you, you will be able to endure, and also all these people will be able to go home satisfied. Moses listened to his father-in-law and did everything he said. So Moses chose able men from all Israel and made them leaders over the people as commanders of thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. They judged the people at all times. They would bring the hard cases to Moses, but they'd judge every minor case themselves. Now, this is a story of God at work through normal processes, or you might say, organizational processes, or you might say God was at work through the creation of an org chart. Now, this seems somewhat sterile, quite frankly, compared to the first two. I mean, God at work through human effort, we see that, and God at work in a supernatural moment, we see that. But here, Jethro is advising Moses, God will work through organizational process. If you'll just give people the chance, they'll prove to you that they can do God's work and get God's purposes accomplished all on their own. God's work is seen through normal organizational processes. That's why we organize ministries like Gateway Seminary the way we do. That's why I have faculty members and staff members and policies and procedures that we've all put in place that reflect the mission that God has given us. And quite frankly, most days at Gateway Seminary, I have no idea what most of the people who work here are actually doing. But I'm confident that by creating this organizational chart, which breaks things down into manageable size units and giving people the responsibility to fulfill them in those contexts, that the work of God, yeah, let me say it that way, the work of God is getting done in the context of the mission and ministry of Gateway Seminary being fulfilled. That's why churches organize things like small group programs and things like vacation Bible schools and uh, things like uh, outreach and ministry and missions projects where we put people into groups and we have directors and we have directors over those and we create these organizational efforts to systematize the work that people are going to do together to fulfill the purposes of God. I was recently with a church that has a pretty sophisticated org chart, which involves their, their church being broken up into small groups. And those small groups all have a teacher and they all have an outreach leader and they all have a fellowship leader. And within those small groups, all of this work of God is being done. And the leaders, they really don't know exactly what's happening in their dozens, if not hundreds of small groups in this large church, but they know They know that they have created an organization where there's policies and procedures, where there's focus on mission, where there's commitment to doing things in a common way throughout the organization, and there's accountability to make sure that gets done with the belief that as this organization functions, God 
works. And the works and purposes of God are actually accomplished through organizational processes. Now, remember at the beginning of the podcast, we said the question of the day is in Acts 17, verse 7, is the Lord among us? The answer is, yes, he is. And sometimes the Lord is among us in a supernatural moment, a healing, a financial provision, water gushing out of a rock. Sometimes we see God at work in a supernatural moment. But as leaders, we also have to have the spiritual wisdom and vision to see God at work through human effort. That as we pray and ask God to work with us and through us and in the lives of people around us, that we see God at work in the daily battle that we're doing to accomplish his purposes. That we see God at work in budget planning. We see God at work in pastoral care and counseling. We see God at work in ministry administration. We see God at work through human effort. We see people actually going out and cutting down trees to do disaster relief and people actually going out and making hospital visits to extend the care and ministry of a church to the sick. And we see people actually showing up to teach the Bible, believing that in the communication of that information, transformation will take place. In the context of human effort, we see the work of God being advanced. And then finally, this last one, we see God at work. God is among us as we create organization that does his purposes, that we create organization that's focused on mission, that has policies and procedures, personnel that are all oriented around that mission, and that we have accountability to perform according to those policies and procedures with those personnel so that the mission is fulfilled and accomplished. And we believe that by doing that and by organizing ourselves to do that, God is working. I find in these three stories, all juxtaposed around this central question, is God at work? And this central answer, Jehovah Nisi, the Lord is our banner. I find in these three stories, great encouragement to see the ways that God is at work in me, through me, and around me to accomplish his purposes. I want you to lift up your eyes as a result of hearing this podcast. Lift up your eyes and look around with a fresh understanding of how God is at work through supernatural intervention, human effort, and organizational structure to accomplish his purposes. See God's work in a fresh way today as you lead on.